If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 15 in just a second. A message entitled, Looking in the Right Place. Let's stand to honor the reading of God's holy word. Paul writes to the church at Colossae, he says, He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creations. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who, were, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray together. Father, it's my prayer today that you will take these words that your saint penned for us. And I pray that you will open our hearts to their truth that we can Cease from looking for answers in the wrong place. But we can seek the right place and hear from you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It's an old corny story, but it illustrates the point. One night an officer was um, on his patrol, and he noticed a guy under a street light. You remember when street lights were spread out? He was under a street light, and he was walking round and round that street light. And as the police officer approached him, he knew, he recognized that this guy was obviously inebriated, intoxicated, drunk. And so he walked up to him, and he said, Sir, he said, did you lose something? Are you looking for something? The guy looked at him with that old drunken drawl, and he goes, Yes, officer, I lost my wallet. He said, did you lose your wallet here? And he goes, no, sir, Oscar, I lost my wallet somewhere before I came around that corner over there. And he said, well, why are you looking for it here? He said, Oscar, the light's better here. <laughs> now, some of you that will don't on the way you go home, all right? Illustrates, you have to look at the right place. I have a golf group that we play once a week. <clears throat> and occasionally, somebody will hit the ball out of the fairway. Not me, Dan. But occasionally somebody will hit it out of the fairway, and occasionally someone will hit it into the woods. Now, tonight we're having a choir. Brother Ed's going to be leading them. Brother Ed's one of my partners, so you can tell him I said it was him that kept hitting it in the woods. 
But when you hit it in the woods in the, uh, on the golf course, you have to watch that ball to see where it goes if you're going to get it back. For instance, if the ball goes out the woods up there, you can't even look six foot back and find the ball. You have to go to where the ball is to find it. Now, if you're going to find anything, if you're going to find anything, you must look in the right place. Back in 1980, Johnny Lee put the number one song on the chart. How many of you remember what it was? Looking for love in all the wrong places. And here's what I'll tell you. It seems epidemic today that we as Americans, that we as God's creation, tend to want to look for love and for life in all the wrong places. We're kind of like the foolish man in Matthew chapter 7 as Jesus ended his Sermon on the Mount. And, and Jesus told the story about the man who built his house on the rock and the man who built his house on the sand. And we're like that man that builds a house on the sand. We look in all the wrong places. And then when the storms of life, when the troubles of life, when the tragedies of life overtake us, we wonder why we get washed away. When I think of, uh, when I think of looking, just looking at or looking for something, I'm reminded of that story in the book of Numbers. You remember the story where the children of Israel had now been brought out of Egypt? And where they kept sinning. If I'd have been God, I'd have sent them back where they said they wanted to go. But he didn't. But they kept sinning. And you know what he did one day? He sent snakes into the camp. And these weren't non-poisonous snakes. In fact, the Scripture says when you were bitten, you died. Wow, that's pretty good. But he sent these snakes for both judgment and for restoration. And he told Moses what to do. He said, Moses, I want you to put a serpent on a staff. Let me show you that. Let me show you that. Thank you. Thank you. Serpent on a staff. Now, you know what that grew into? Hit that one more time, Brandon. You know what that grew into? That grew into our medical symbol of the day. But in those days, they had to look at that serpent on the staff. And if they looked, they would be healed. They were bitten by a snake. And if they would look, they would find healing. But you know what you discover when you read that story? Not everyone looked. The answer was in sight, and not everyone looked. But for those who would look, healing came. Today, as we get into our story, as we get into our text, as we're trying to look in the right place, I'm going to suggest to you two places that we need to look, if we're going to look in the right place. Now, if you have your device and you've opened up the live, it's already coming up to you. If you're looking on the back of your bulletin, you can write it down. But I think these will be important to you. Two places that I believe that we should look today if we're going to find the answers for life. First of all, we need to look upward. We need to look upward. <laughs> looking upward is always the best place to look, however it seems like. It's also the most difficult place to look. 
I mean, we want to look everywhere else. I mean, too many of us look around and we see people. Well, I'm as good as she is. I'm as good as he is. I'm as good as they are. We tend to want to look around for our answers and follow their example. And I think there are times that God gets tired of us looking around. So you know what he'll do to us? He'll lay you down on your back so you have nowhere to look but up. You see, the truth is, when we look, when we look around, we can see what the world has to offer. When we look up, we we can see what God has to offer the world. When we look around, we get pulled down. When we look up, we get drawn to the one who has all of the answers. We look up, we get to see him for who he is, Jesus for who he is. Brother Jerry, you being mystical? No, I'm telling you that when you look up and you, and you come from God's Word and you look up, you'll find that Jesus is the center of this world, that Jesus is the center of being. Jesus deserves our attention, and it is Jesus who deserves our focus because it is Jesus who we need to look to. Now, how does that square with this verse? Look up. And, and first of all, see his appearance. Isn't it important how somebody appears we tend to rate people on how they dress. That's terrible. But look, you can, you can see Jesus. Verse 15 begins, He is the image. He is the picture. He is, he is the, uh, 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 the likeness. He is the profile. He is the representation of who? God Almighty. And when we look up and we see a vision of Jesus, we begin to see the, the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And somebody goes, Brother Jerry, you're crazy. What does Jesus look like? How do we know? Well, can I just give you three thoughts? From the Old, from the old and New Testament, we have pictures of who God is. You go to Daniel chapter 3. If you know what Daniel chapter 3 is, it's about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's those three Hebrew boys that refused to bow down to the false idol of King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, being the arrogant, prideful guy he was, he had all his strong men to bind up the uh, three boys. He was so mad, he heated the, the furnace multiple times hotter. In fact, he heated that furnace. He was so out of his mind, he heated that furnace so hotter that his strong men who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace, they died. But guess what? In the furnace... He looked, and he said, didn't we throw three men in there? And they go, yep. He goes, wait a second. I see a fourth man in there. Now, remember, Nebuchadnezzar's a pagan king. He don't believe in God. He don't believe in Jesus. And he said, and that fourth one is likened to a son of God. Even a pagan king understands what Jesus looks like when he gets a vision of him. Oh, by the way, let me just give this for free. Not in my notes, but I'm just going to give this to you. In that day, three men went in, four men were seen, three came out. So where did Jesus go? He's still in the fire for you. You the pagan king saw Jesus, the image of Jesus. 
Then you can move to the New Testament, and you can go to Matthew, what, 17, Mark 9, and you can see this experience that we call the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus carried his A-team of uh, disciples, Peter, James, and John, up on a mountain. Moses and Elijah came to visit him from heaven. Jesus took off his earthly robe, and he was transfigured before them. And they were humbled. But it's the same picture we see in Revelation 1 when John, the beloved, heard something behind him and he turned to see. He turned to see the Son of Man. You know what happened in those two instances when they got a good picture of Jesus? They understand it. They understood how holy Jesus was and how sinful they were. And they fell on their faces in worship. Because they understood who Jesus is. Can I ask you a question this morning? Have you looked upward? Do you see how holy and righteous and good Jesus is? This one who came from heaven to earth, died on a cross, rose from the grave. Now, folks, I don't know about you. Just been my, just, just kind of my philosophy of life. If I'm going to follow someone, I'm going to follow someone that can rise from the grave. Because if he can rise from the grave, chances are he can bring me back. You all got what I'm telling you? Look upward. His appearance. The second thing, look at his authority. Look at his authority. It says, still in verse 15, it says, he's the firstborn of creation. Now, being firstborn don't mean much to us today because we write wills and we can write our firstborn out of the out of the will or we can do whatever we want to. But in this day, the firstborn had all the power. He had all the control. The firstborn was going to take over everything that his daddy had. The firstborn. He was the man. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. I don't want to denigrate Jesus at all in his deity, but Jesus is not only the man, he's the God. He's the one that has authority over everything. You know, a lot of people today have authority. Some should, some shouldn't. You have bosses, you have law enforcement officials, you have governments, you have governors, you have presidents, you have congressmen. They have authority. In fact, some of them... Some of them think they have more authority than they actually have, but that's another subject for another time. But here's the truth. They have authority in their places of responsibility. Did y'all get that? These people have authority in the places of responsibility. So someone counters with a question, well, if that's true, Brother Jerry, how much authority does Jesus have? And I just want to say this to you. Jesus has the authority only in his places of responsibility. It just so happens that everywhere is his place of responsibility. There's all, there's everywhere. He is in charge. You know, you know, the truth is he created. If you read on in your scripture, it says he's the firstborn of creation. For by him all things, watch, are created. In heaven, earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Can I just say that that, that about covers it? That just about covers it. When he speaks, we better listen. And Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and life. No one gets to the Father but by him. 
You know, that, another thing when I think about his authority, I read um, down in verse 18 that he is the head of the body, the church. Mm. I've been behind the pulpit a little over 40 years. I think one of the saddest truths of the modern-day American church is that the church has been hijacked. I have watched, I've seen arrogant preachers that thought the church was all about them. I've seen arrogant deacons that think that they run everything. I've seen arrogant members who think the church is all about them. Too many churches today have hijacked our church because every time a problem comes up, I mean, Brother Terry could probably validate this. You can go, when you're dealing with a, a, a pastor search team and, they, and you're looking at a new church and they give you their constitution and bylaws, nine times out of ten, you can read those constitution and bylaws and you can determine what problems that they've had. Because as soon as the guy's gone, they're going to bring an amendment to the constitution to not ever let it happen again. And you say, Brother Jerry, is something wrong with that? Well, I'm going to tell you what I think is wrong with it. It depends on who you read. Today in America, we've got between 65 and 90% of the churches dying. Because I'm afraid we've been hijacked by doing what we want, what we like. And, and oh, by the way, we have just crippled the spiritual power of the church because we voted Jesus out the back door because this is his church. He has the authority. He has the power. And may I just say this? Not only does he have the authority and the power, but please listen. Through his word, he's got the smarts to do it. He's smarter than any one of us. When you think personally, that's the church. You think personally about his authority. He has the answer for every question you have in your life. He, he holds the key to every situation that's going on in your life. He alone offers you a way to God. You know one of the things the church is supposed to do? Let me back that up. Do you know the thing the church is supposed to do? Oh, yeah, Brother Jerry, they're supposed to take care of my kids. They're supposed to provide activities. They're supposed to have fun things going on. Church is supposed to do all that. Well, you know, we've gotten to where we do that. But you know the one thing that the church does that nobody else can do? We're supposed to offer people Jesus. We're supposed to offer people eternal life. We're supposed to offer people a way back to God. And it's Jesus that has the authority And he's put all things in order. You see, when we see the Lord Jesus, life comes into perspective. When we see him, we see the one who has the authority, who has the power, who has the presence to put all things in order. And that brings us to his assignment. His assignment. God gave him something to do. Don't let any preacher stand and say that God looked all through heaven and sought for a volunteer to come to earth to die on the cross. That's absolutely asinine. The Bible tells us that God sent Jesus. The Bible tells us that God gave Jesus that we could have eternal life. Jesus' assignment is found in verse 20. It says... Through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself 
all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. You see, Christ was sent to earth for you and me to reconcile us to God so that, as Billy Graham says, we can find peace with God. Never forget the half-brother of Jesus, James, in his book, said to be a friend of this world is to be an enemy of God. You see, if we're going to turn from enemies to friends, we're going to have to have an intermediary to bring us to God. And Jesus is that intermediary. That's his assignment. It was and it is to reconnect us as sinful people to holy God. Well, Brother Jerry, why in the world do I need to be connected to holy God? Why can't I just go on my own? Here's why. Because your relationship to God and my relationship to God got messed up in the Garden of Eden. God created us to walk with Him, to talk with Him, to walk in the coolness of the day, to fellowship with Him. And when our fathers and mothers, Adam and Eve, disobeyed, they brought sin into this world, and it separated us from God. If we're going to approach God, we have to do something about our sin, and we can't do anything about our sin because the wages, the compensation schedule, the payment that you get for your sin today is still death. That means left to your own, you are still doomed. However, verse 20 tells us that Jesus came to reconcile us to God. He made the way for us to get to God. He paid the price. He died on the cross. He offers us peace through His shed blood on that old rugged. Friends, the degradation of the American culture is all about the searching of mankind for the answers to life. And that degradation has been augmented by looking for life in all the wrong places. And we can go looking. Years ago, somebody said to me, money won't buy happiness, but it can take you a lot of places looking for it. And that's the, that's the concept in America. We've got enough money and resources now that we can go, go, go. We can spend, spend, spend. We can go to, man, if I just go to this one place, it's going to find me happiness. If I go there, we'll be happy. If we can have a lot of experiences, we'll be happy and we've got money to do it. And so we go, 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 and we spend, spend, spend. And when we come back, we still haven't found happiness and peace and security. We toss our first husband out or our first wife out or our family to the curve, and we go chasing someone else. trying to find happiness. If we're going to find happiness, we're going to have to look in the right place. And that right place is Jesus. Please don't trust yourself, your security. Please don't trust yourself to this world. Jesus is your answer. He's your ever-present help when you're at your end of your rope. He is the one that can change your life. He is the one that can forgive your sin. He is the one that can give you a home in heaven. Look upward. Look upward. The second place to look is inward. Look inward. 
Every time I, every time I suggest that we need to look inward, I'm reminded of that old comic strip, Pogo. Okay, you're going to show your age? How many of you remember Pogo? Okay. Pogo said, we found the enemy, and it's us. You see, if you're going to look inside yourself, it's going to require both courage and honesty. Because we like to believe that we're pretty good. We like to believe that we got it all together. We like to believe that we're doing great things in our lives. And the Bible says, left to our own, we can do nothing. Because the Bible tells us this about ourselves. He said, tells us there's no one that's righteous. The Bible tells us that all are sinners. The Bible tells us, above all things, the heart is deceitful. And we have to come face to face with ourselves, looking inward, probably before we're going to look upward. You look at verses 41, I mean, excuse me, 21 through 23. And if you look at them right, they can be some of the most painful verses and yet helpful verses that you'll read. First of all, it speaks of your situation. It speaks of your situation and my situation. Look at what it says, verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil Deeds. Never forget that Paul always wrote to Christ's followers. There's not, a, there's not a, a letter in this book that Paul wrote to the non-believer. Did you know that? Every letter that he wrote was either written to a body, a church, or an individual. And, and we know that because they had heard the message of Christ, because they had responded to the message of Christ. They had recognized their need. They understood that Jesus was the answer, and they placed their trust in him, and now they were doing their best to follow him. But they got to this point of being a Christ follower, a Christ believer, by recognizing their need. Paul says, you were once alienated. You were once hostile toward God. You were once separated from God. And why? Because you were such a good person? No, because of your evil actions. That is before Christ. Just to be clear, neither your money, neither your social status, neither your heritage, neither your race, neither your good deeds, neither your service, neither your church attendance, neither anything that you can name will give you a head start on a relationship with Jesus. In point of fact, the Old Testament tries to force us to see our evilness and our depravity by even comparing men to a worm. Let me make some of you rattled a little bit. If you never realized, if you have never realized that you were evil, quite likely you've never been saved. I want to say that again. If you never realized that you were evil, if you never realized that you would not make heaven without some help, you're probably not saved. And I remind you 
of the message last Sunday morning. Point number three, out of the words of Jesus, many people expecting to be saved will be lost. <clears throat> you see, it is only when we realize how bad we are that we realize what Jesus can do for us. The Bible says, verse 21, and you were once. That means that you were once bad. You were once alienated. You were once evil. And so the question, the question begs to be asked today, have you met Christ? Have you, have you allowed Jesus to change your old way? Have you allowed Jesus to forgive your sin? Have you allowed Jesus to give you life? Have you allowed Jesus to invade your life? Which brings us to the second truth about looking inward. Not only your situation, but your salvation. Being saved. Being changed. You know, I, I never cease to be amazed at the number of Christians. I never cease to be amazed at the number of Christians who are highly offended when you ask them about their salvation experience. Are you, are you a Christian? Yeah, I am. Are you a Christ follower? Yeah, I am. Have you ever been saved? Yeah. Well, tell me about it. And they'll swell up. I don't understand that. Let me give you an illustration. This week on the Internet, <clears throat> I saw, and many of you probably did too, I saw this tragic happening where a car came into a gas station and plowed in the back of another car, and there was immediately fire there at the gas pumps. Well, you know, most people ran away. Highway patrolmen went in the midst of the fire and drug out that unconscious driver away from the fire as it spread. May I ask you a question? Do you think that unconscious driver will ever forget that day? Do you think that unconscious driver will forget that officer? Do you think that unconscious driver is going to forget that experience and go, well, yeah, I got saved, but I really don't want to tell you about it. You know what he's going to do? He's going to start telling you about that person who pulled him out. He's going to tell you about the danger he was in, and he's going to tell you that he's thankful for that person. How often, how often do we try to forget Jesus? You see, folks, when your life is saved... When you're saved from the fire, you don't forget it. And oh, by the way, if Jesus has saved you, you are not in a burning car. You are in a burning eternity. And he pulled you out and he saved you and he put you on a straight path to head to heaven one day. Watch verse 22. says, He has reconciled in his body of flesh... By his death. In salvation, something extraordinarily spiritual happens in your life. You, you follow Jesus. Jesus reconciles us back to the, our former state with God. Now, in our former state, when God created us, He did create us to walk and talk in the cool of the day with Him. He created us for fellowship, and our, and our relationship has been broken But not only does Jesus, are you ready for this? Not only does Jesus bring us back to God, not only does he make us right, what we call justified before God, but he erases hell out of our lives. Woo! 
I don't know about you, but I for one am glad hell is not the end of my earthly journey. Jesus died so you don't have to die. Jesus died to forgive your sin. Jesus died to give you life. It's only through his death on the cross that you can find freedom, that you can find forgiveness, that you can find hope. Please don't sit there today because you sit on a pew for 30 years. Come to Jesus today. And then allow Jesus to change your life. By the way, can you imagine Jesus, the God of all creation, coming into a life and not changing it? That doesn't make any sense to me. Oh, yeah, I got Jesus, but I'm just about like I was before. You don't have the Jesus I know. Because, you see, when Jesus comes to a life, he'll change you. You can pray daily. You can read the Bible daily. You can attend church all the time. But if Jesus has not changed your life, changed your attitude, then based on the scripture that I read, you have no hope. I pray that you'll look in the right place for salvation today. I will end with your security. Well, Brother Jerry, I was saved one time. Well, let me just tell you something. If, God sa- if Jesus saved you one time and changed your life, the truth is you'll be saved for eternity. Most of the time, people make a head decision to be baptized, to walk an aisle, to join a church. And it never made it to their heart. And that brings us to the thought about this. That as I think about your security... It seems to me that a lot of people today are finding their security in their church membership. They're finding security in the fact that they were there when it all started. People find their security in a whole bunch of things. If you think about it today, people find their security in their retirement plan and their assets and the house they live in and their ability to plan for the future, their position, their prestige, their popularity. I just want to say this to you. The day is coming. Are you listening? We're almost done. The day is coming. And it may not be far away as I've watched the week, the last couple of weeks events unfold. The day is coming, and it may not be very far away, when everything you and I think that is important in this world is gone. As you watch the world's events, you understand that we have a fallen world. And our fallen world has chosen a flawed path. And when you take a fallen world following a flawed path, what you're going to find out is that this world is falling. You see, once we come to Christ and he invades our life, we come to him in faith and he invades our life and he changes us. Scriptures tell us, verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel you have heard, then you can be secure. Now, there's an if there, and I'm just going to tell you something. That if means everything. The person who simply prays the prayer, maybe they go as far as baptism, but they never go on with Jesus. That's, not, that's who he's talking to. If. Has Jesus changed your life? 
Has Jesus given you security? The gospel. You see that it says here, the, the gospel that you have heard, not shifting from the hope of the gospel you've heard. The gospel is good news. Good news is only good news if you hear it in time. Good news is only good news if you respond to it in time. Good news is only good news if you share it in time. Folks, I'm here today to call you to look to Jesus. Look in the right place. And it will make a difference in your life. And I end with this story. young man's name was Charles. The day that changed Charles' life didn't begin like the day that he thought it was going to be. Charles had been having a whole lot of doubt about his salvation. Oh, he prayed a couple of times, but he still wasn't convinced that he had all of God. He wasn't convinced that he was saved. And he just had, it was a dreadful feeling. And then he heard that there, were going to be, there was going to be this well-known preacher coming, to ta- coming across the country. It was quite a drive, quite a way to where he had to go to. The morning came, and so did the snow. He knew he wouldn't make it there where that preacher was going to preach, but he still wanted to go to church that morning. And so he got up, and he got dressed, and he made his way through the snow down to the little church where he had been worshiping. And when he, when he walked into the church, he got in the lobby, and he began to shake the, uh, the snow off of him. And he was just wondering, wonder what the preacher is going to preach on today. I heard some of the guys speaking, and there weren't many people there because of the snow, and so he went up into the lobby, I mean to the balcony. He was up there by himself. When the people came out on the platform, he didn't see the pastor. And in just a second, one of the deacons got up, and he thought, oh, no, not a deacon. What's a deacon going to say? Good gracious. And the deacon read Isaiah forty-five twenty-two, which says, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. Then the deacons spoke on for about ten minutes and seemed to run out of something to say, and they thought he was bringing it to a close. And the deacon looked up in the, in the balcony and said, Young man, you're in trouble, aren't you? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look, look, look. And Charles, as he left that service today, he began to think about those words. And he decided that from now on, he would look to Jesus. And he grew up to be one of the most successful preacher Prince of Preacher Evangelist. His name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And it said that in Charles Spurgeon's church that people would line up for a quarter of a mile trying to get in because they could only seat 3,000 and that was not nearly enough room. People wanted to be close to Charles Spurgeon because he was close to Jesus. Because he looked to Jesus. Folks, The message today is look in the right place for the answers you're seeking. And Jesus is the right place. It is not your favorite TV station. It is not your favorite news outlet. 
It is Jesus. He's the way. Let's pray together.